Many municipal officials from around the state might already know these stories if they helped us get back to the future of Connecticut at our 2022 CCM Annual Convention. These two officials helped their cities bring home the 2022 Municipal Excellence Awards in the Large City category and Topical category. Norwalk won for a tax collection rate that remains over 90%, while Groton has been focusing on their support of the elderly community. Joining us today on the Municipal Voice are Mary Jo Riley from Groton and Lisa Biagarelli from the City of Norwalk to go more in depth about these programs and how they can be applied to towns and cities around the state. The Municipal Voice is sponsored by Gateway Community College and Housatonic Community College. The Municipal Voice is the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities podcast in collaboration with WNHH LP 103.5 FM. I'm your host, Matt Ford. As always, be sure to give us a like and let us know what you're thinking in the comments. CCM's Municipal Voice podcast continues to present a key forum on important state-local issues. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the consensus views of CCM or member municipal leaders. Mary Jo, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work in Groton? I am the supervisor of Thrive 55 Plus Active Living Center, which used to be the Groton Senior Center, Mm -hmm. and we are a division of Parks and Recreation. I've been here, I'm in my 30th year, it's hard to believe, Mm -hmm. but um, we've been a very active center since I started, Mm -hmm. and we just are expanding all the time. Great. Um, does the change from being called a, a senior center to Thrive 55, is that like a change in philosophy? Is it just a change in name? Like what, what's, what's that? I think we, we approached it because we did a study on why people who were of age weren't using us. And mm-hmm. we found two reasons. One, they were really busy. And mm-hmm. the other is they didn't realize they were of age to use the center, which of course mm-hmm. is 55 and older. So we went from there and um, a lot of the people said they also didn't like the word senior because they don't mm-hmm. feel like a senior. And that was not age related. That was generally anybody who was called a senior that mm-hmm. was active here said, yeah, I don't think of myself as a senior. I, Think of myself coming to a recreation center Mm -hmm. or to learn or to do technology. So we um, then did a research project to what should we call ourselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was fun to sit on and listen to users and non-users select a name and kind of go through the process. And Thrive 55 was the result. That's cool. I think about how you can kind of help people understand what the organization is really doing more yeah, then, then who we're serving. Yeah, yeah, because I know, like, you know, I'm personally, I just turned 46, but I've been getting stuff from the AARP for, for years yeah. now, and I'm like, I'm not a retired person yet, but if they, you know, come up with a different name, it might might sell me better on that kind of stuff, too. Exactly. Um, so one of the reasons we have you on the show this week is because um, the Thrive 55 program uh, was a winner of the uh, Municipal Excellence Award. Uh, that we gave out specifically uh the topical category award that we do every year and um this year the topical uh category was innovation in diversity equity and inclusion right which is pretty cool um it's something we've been you know equity inclusion stuff is issues we've been trying to do stuff with at uh ccm in recent years so you know it, it's important to us um but why is diversity equity and inclusion important in groton well for us i mean i think it's important for every community. Our focus for the project was actually including people who have dementia. Mm -hmm. And 
if in my time here observing people, once that diagnosis came, a lot of times as people start to fail, their friends kind of are afraid it's catching. So mm-hmm. the person gets segregated or they're limited in their abilities as the disease progresses. Mm. And so um, probably 25 years ago, we started a program because we had a lot of family members saying, well, mom and mom's not that bad. We'll just drop her off at the senior center and Mm -hmm. they'll know what to do. So we kind of turned the tables on the families and said, hey, we're developing a program where your family member can participate, Mm -hmm. have their own space, their own group, be a little more monitored while they're here so they don't Mm -hmm. wander if they have that characteristic. Mm -hmm. And so we started a program and the program currently is called Discover Connections. Mm -hmm. They meet twice a week and they have their own group, but we have volunteers as well as staff that Mm -hmm. instruct the program and they do everything from exercise to music, to art, to education, um, discussing, their stories and on um, their life stories. Mm-hmm. So it's great. And you obviously will see a wonderful change in these people mm-hmm. because I can think of one woman, her name was Babe, and she came in and, you know, it was almost like blank, you know, mm-hmm. and it was like, you'd say good morning and she'd nod, but she wasn't conversing. And mm-hmm. after a period of time where she was in her group and getting active and back yeah. to doing things independently from her family. Mm-hmm. She'd come in smiling and say, good morning, you know, which yeah. is a whole lot different. Yeah. And she would <clears throat> may not remember where her class was, but she remembered I'm going to class today. And yeah. of course she knew her group. So she'd follow the group. So there is a significant change and a slowing down of the progression for a mm-hmm. lot of people just because they're utilizing their brain. Yeah. They're physically active, they're doing different things. And so that was one part of our mm-hmm. program. The second part was I happened to go to a conference and there was a beautiful photography display of portraits of older adults. Mm-hmm. And so I went through the whole thing and thought, this is really great. It told their story and everything. And I picked up the brochure. It wasn't until I left the conference that I realized as I read the brochure, they all had dementia. Mm. And so it was like, people don't realize that you don't see this disease. So Mm. the person is so much more than the disease. So we decided to replicate that. We talked to the photographer in Boston and one of our staff who does really great photography uh, did portraits. And we were able to do 15 people from the community, Mm -hmm. their portraits, their life stories. And we had that on display a couple of summers ago for the summer. So people could look and see these portraits and say, hey, I know that lady. I see her in walking class or I see her here. And then they all realize that, oh, these people have a commonality that they have dementia. Yeah. You know, it wasn't race. It wasn't religion. It wasn't anything like that. It was the commonality was the disease process. And they were all in some stage of the illness. And then the last thing that happened kind of the same time as we were developing portraits of life, we had somebody wander. Mm hmm. 
And this person wandered in the middle of winter in their pajamas, no slippers, no nothing. And the police talked to us about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's got to be scary for the police, not as, and also the family. Here's my family mm -hmm. member that's gotten out of the house. So we talked to the police and they, we made them do the research, yeah. but they found a program called Project Lifesaver mm -hmm. that is designed to, it's a radio bracelet program that is designed to help the police quickly find somebody who's a wanderer. Mm -hmm. And usually 15 minutes, if they have the bracelet on, mm -hmm. um, they're able to pinpoint their location from where they started um, to be able to find them. And not only is this program good for persons with dementia who mm -hmm. wander, but children on the autism spectrum who okay. wander. So as this program grows, we expect that families with children on the autism spectrum will, will be also getting mm -hmm. radio bracelets for their family members. Mm -hmm. So, and then we hope that it'll expand to other communities around us Mm -hmm. so that they can then also search for people who are missing. And I was told by a police officer about six people a month, which I thought was mm -hmm. hot here in Groton. But yeah. they, and usually they find them pretty quickly. But sometimes, again, if the family, it's in the middle of the night and the family mm -hmm. members sleep, and this is where the caregivers don't sleep because mm -hmm. they're so afraid that the person's going to get up and leave the house. So it's impacting their lives and maybe their ability to get yeah. to work and be rested. The whole and that kind of stuff family, too. yeah. With kids, you can at least put the locks up high. Yeah. But with adults, one of our wanderers, he was like six foot six. The mm -hmm. wife's like, yeah, I put the lock down by his feet because he never thought to look down. He wouldn't bend down that far, yeah. 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 There's some really cool programs, you know, now that you're kind of pushing that, it's not just a senior center, it's 55 plus. Do you have any like two generation families coming in where like, you know, someone is 55 plus, but their their uh, mother or father could be 70, 80 something also participating? Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah. We actually at one point had three generations because the the grandmother was 101. Mm -hmm. So and then the mom was in her 80s and the daughter was in her late 50s, early 60s. Mm -hmm. So, um, but we oftentimes have, it's funny because they'll bring the parent in and then we say, oh, you know, you're eligible too. Yeah. And we, we do do evening programs and weekend programs so that people like myself who still work but are of age mm -hmm. are able to participate. So, uh, so maybe I, you I bring a parent down with you and while they're doing that, you could be doing a different program. Yeah, they could be in the fitness center while mom and dad's work out connections or mom and dad's in a fitness class and they're taking an art class. So mm -hmm. and then um, they're able to transport them and be with them. But we also do transportation. We run our own cafeteria. We have a coffee shop here. So mm -hmm. it's um, very nice, yeah. nice place to come. We want people to enjoy themselves when they come. Yeah. I think you know, being social, it makes a big difference. You know, we talk about the, the social skills with some of the dementia patients and stuff and how can, you know, they, they wake up when they're around other people. But I think, you know, for me personally, the start of the pandemic, there was a few months where I was working from home all the time and like, yeah. I didn't see people. And I, even in that time, I felt like in some ways, some of my social skills or whatever got a little rusty. So I can imagine if you're home all the time, you know, it was 
it was very, very difficult. I mean, Zoom is the best thing ever. And we actually had started a senior center without walls the year before mm -hmm. the pandemic hit, where people that became homebound could, we'd bring a laptop that had a camera mm -hmm. and microphone so they could see their class and talk to people. And we actually did a brochure on how to use Zoom. So when we shut down for the pandemic, yeah. the whole first few days afterwards, staff were saying, okay, what can we do on Zoom? What mm -hmm. can we schedule? So we did socialization programs, mm -hmm. our discovery connections for people with dementia. We called the caregivers, said, okay, we're going to do an hour because we figured that yeah. would be enough time um, and they'd be able to do it. We did a lot of, okay, we're going to do an art project. You have to drive through and pick up the stuff. It'll be mm -hmm. on a table outside and people would drive up and pick up things or we would do drive through lunch, yeah. drive through events, which people enjoyed. But you saw a significant number of people fail. Mm -hmm. They listen at this age. They were told to stay home, stay away from people. So they didn't go out and walk. They didn't stay active. Um, if they didn't have a laptop or a tablet, we did have some loaners. Mm -hmm. We tried to get the family members to help them out so that yeah. they stayed connected. And that to me was the biggest thing during um, the shutdown for COVID mm -hmm. was trying to get people to stay connected. And get, getting them maybe the equipment or just showing them how to use Zoom or yeah. whatever it is to stay in contact yeah. with friends, family. Yeah, our technology center, the volunteers there, they were very busy, you yeah. know, because we'd call them at home and say, okay, I've missed so and so. Can you contact her by phone to talk to her how to get on Zoom, yeah. walk her through, and and um, even sometimes FaceTime with them just to see what they're doing wrong? Because yeah. guaranteed somebody will tell us it's not working, but oftentimes it was their internet connection. Something like it wasn't that, that yeah. they were doing it right, but they had to realize, yeah, it's my internet connection. Yeah, it's it's a group that might not necessarily be as up to date on the most recent technology stuff, but also was probably the most vulnerable to catching COVID and needed to really stay, stay. isolated as much as they could. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had a lot of people where you know they would family members would go to their house, they wouldn't go in, they'd be out in the front lawn with signs for grandpa or grandma mm -hmm. and. The kids would talk to them through the window and, you know, we just encourage that kind of thing just again, to keep people connected. Yeah. It, it was, it was really always, always very important, but more important than ever during that time period. Certainly yeah. America is an aging country overall. We see the news, you know, even countries like China are getting their average ages are, are getting older and older. Um, why is it important that there's programs like this in place? Do we have enough young people to take care of everybody as they're getting older? In actuality, everybody that comes here, the majority of people that come here are independent, live in their own homes mm -hmm. and drive. So you want to keep people in your community active and part mm -hmm. of the community. And that's where places like Thrive 55 are so important. Mm -hmm. People are able to access services. We do have a health insurance counselor that comes in. We have a mm -hmm. benefits counselor that comes in. So people will, if they're on a really tight fixed income, they're able to get a little bit of extra benefits and income. Mm -hmm. We, um, again, try to keep them active. We have 190 volunteers here in our center and they do things like they do our 
garden for the center and mm -hmm. they raised 500 pounds of food last year for the kitchen here. We have volunteers that meet and greet. We call them mm -hmm. our Walmart greeters, but it's kind of nice when they come in the building, there's somebody to say, hello, what are you up to today? And if they're new, they'll take them on a tour and show mm -hmm. them the facility. But by keeping people as part of the community, they're paying taxes. They're buying mm. their food in the town. They're going to the hairdresser in town. So it just helps economically versus, mm. um, you know, not caring for them and having them go into a nursing home because eventually their money is spent out yeah. and our federal tax dollars are paying for them to stay in a nursing home. Yeah. Um, you m mentioned uh, volunteers. If uh, someone is interested in doing some volunteer work with you, learning more just about what you do, should they check out the website? Like, how would they go about doing that? Um, we have a volunteer coordinator, Tony mm -hmm. Stanley, mm -hmm. and she, um, they can come in, she can sit and talk to them about what they'd mm -hmm. like to do. We want our volunteers to do things they're interested in. So mm -hmm. if they're interested in the garden or if they're interested in education, we have them be like a facilitator for an education program mm -hmm. just to hold the mic and that kind of thing. But they get to participate. They also help us choose things. Um, a lot of times we have a, um, volunteers that help us with our events. Mm -hmm. We have a Super Bowl Saturday coming up, which is a soup tasting event. Oh. So it's play on the word super. Mm -hmm. And uh, we get 200 to 300 people to come to that mm -hmm. event. Um, this year we have over 15 soups. So we need volunteers to serve, volunteers to guide people, help them with their trays. And it's open to the community so anybody mm -hmm. can come. We get families here. Uh, grandparents love to show their center off to their grandkids. So mm -hmm. that's what the volunteers would do. But we really try to match them up with their interests mm -hmm. and not put them in a place where they're not comfortable. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Is the center for Groton residents only? Who who can come to the center? The center is for anyone. We provide um, transportation only for Groton residents, mm -hmm. but the building is open to anyone. We do, I'll be honest, we charge non-residents $10 more a class because okay. they're not paying taxes here. Fair. But um, the class fees are very reasonable. And um, so we do get a lot, I would say about 10% of the people mm -hmm. that come here to 15% are non-residents from Stonington, Ledger, Pawcatuck areas. That may not have similar programs in their, their towns. Right, right. And sometimes it's because, oh, they have fitness at the time I want it, where my center doesn't have mm -hmm. it on the time and days I want it. Yeah. Because again, these people are so busy. Uh, I can't wait to retire to be busy like them. <laughs> I or, the, or the ones that aren't retired, maybe it's near yours is nearer to work or on the way home or something like that. It would exactly, make sense. exactly. You are listening to the Municipal Voice on WNHH 103.5 FM. So we talked about Project Lifesaver before and how it could be transferred to maybe some kids with autism on the spectrum. Uh, is there other services that you do that you think could be expanded beyond the elderly in the future? Um, well, we're part of Parks and Recreation. So the Recreation Division does a lot of the same programs that mm -hmm. we do. But um, we do do intergenerational programs. Mm -hmm. We have, um, hopefully during the kids' vacation, we're planning a puzzle event 
-hmm. where grandparents and grandkids can form teams mm -hmm. and they all get the same puzzle and whoever completes it the first wins a prize, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But we try to do things like that. We have, um, because technology for some of the seniors and older adults is new. Mm -hmm. We have high school students that come from Fitch or Grasso that mm -hmm. will help us um, with cell phone help if people have questions on their cell phone or questions on their tablets. I'm trying to do this. Mm -hmm. And the kids are great because they're a whiz at it and it's really mm -hmm. quick. We just have to remind them, go step by step mm -hmm. and a little slower yeah, than just, you Just to go boop, 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 and it's done. Yeah. <laughs> Show them yeah. what buttons you hit, yeah. Yeah, so we try to get the kids involved and um, we play pickleball here. It's a big sport, mm -hmm. um, started with older adults and now has really expanded to younger adults. But during school vacations, occasionally, Pickleball players will say, um, can I bring my grandchild just so mm -hmm. they can see me play or can mm -hmm. they try playing? And we don't ever say no. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to see grandkids. Yeah. Everyone, everyone likes to see the grandkids. Are there any programs that you've started with uh, there with, you know, 355 or anything that you see could be expanded or replicated in other towns and cities in Connecticut or even farther afield? Well, I, I would say any of the programs we do can be replicated. Mm -hmm. um, it's just doing it in your own way. Mm -hmm. um, I'm involved nationally with the National Institute of Senior Centers and statewide with our Connecticut Association of Senior Center Personnel. And mm -hmm. that's where we've exchanged ideas. Um, the Super Bowl idea, we've had other places want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I spoke in at the Massachusetts conference on our fundraising, one mm -hmm. of our events is a baker's battle where we have professional and amateur bakers compete. Mm -hmm. And then the participants that come vote for their favorite bakers. Oh, that's cool. And we do the wooden spoon award. Mm -hmm. And um, so a couple of other centers across the country heard about it at, uh, from the conference. Mm -hmm. So I've sent them information on how we do it and they're gonna do it in their own way. Yeah. So pretty much anyone can do these programs. Um, it's do you have the space mm -hmm. and um, the room to do certain things? Yeah. I'm a reader, so I read other people's newsletters. Mm -hmm. I look at things that are going on in Parks and Rec and trends nationally. So mm -hmm. I like to, and it drives my staff crazy, come up with ideas that they can do. <laughs> but we have a good time. And that's yeah. the big part of it is that not only do the participants here, the older adults have a good time, but the staff enjoys what they do. Mm, that's cool. Um, you mentioned like uh, national centers and stuff. Um, like when you have a baking contest, are you ever think like, are you in have a competition where you go up against a, another town's senior center or something like that? Or do you have programs where you collaborate with other organizations or centers in the area? The senior centers in Southeastern Connecticut, we usually do an annual event. Mm -hmm. So this last year, we did a block party type of event in our parking lot with a mm -hmm. band. Everybody brings their own chairs, their food, you know, and we had water for sale and stuff. Fortunately, it rained. But because my facility is large enough, they were all able to come inside and we held the event indoors. Mm -hmm. But um, we try to get together to do that. Statewide, we've done wee bowling tournaments. Mm -hmm. And um, you can do it again with Zoom. It's wonderful because you don't have to necessarily travel. 
Mm-hmm. Um, some of the senior centers statewide are doing cornhole tournaments. So we've started a couple of years when we reopened in 2021, we started cornhole mm-hmm. as a game for them to play. So we may be doing our own regional cornhole tournament because some of the other centers are too. And it's a great way to get people together. They meet other people and just have a good time. Cool. Um, does your budget all come from the town budget or do you do any kind of grants? Did any of the kind of the ARPA funds that were around in recent years get into any of your programs? Well, our funding for staffing, transportation, mm-hmm. and like our building monitors is all tax-based money, mm-hmm. the general fund. Everything else is in a special revenue fund where our fees cover the costs mm-hmm. as well as I write grants it's coming up to mm-hmm. grant writing season. Yeah, yeah. I swear it's like writing 10 or 20 term papers every mm-hmm. spring. But that's how we do some new programs or purchase equipment, um, are able to expand what we do is through grants. And then eventually when the grant goes away, we've worked out a, you know, a fee for service that mm-hmm. the individuals pay. So it's a combination of a lot of things. Yeah. Um, we have people that donate. Uh, we have a lot of sponsors for our events. We work like local businesses that you work with. Yeah, yeah. Our Super Bowl, we have 15 restaurants mm-hmm. that donate five gallons of soup to us. Oh, that's cool for that event. So you know it. And then what we do in return is we call it dining out. We pick a night and we go back to those restaurants and mm. bring 20, 30 people to eat off the menu at their restaurant. Oh, that's cool. So then they get money back. Um, and it's kind of a payback for them for helping us out. Would that be like some sort of like prefix, like a, a field trip for everybody? Like you would show up and. Yeah, we, they either sign up by our bus and we take them, we transport them, or mm-hmm. if they drive, they drive themselves because then they can leave when they want to leave mm-hmm. after dinner. But they love it because it's, it's a social time to sit and eat with their friends. Yeah. And do you find a lot of that, like, are people that show up regularly, like, do they have their regular crew that they see every week at that class or that time? And, and that it's sort of just thing? like, a, I want to say it's just like a school. You have your yeah. cliques, you have your different groups, you have people that, you know, always sit at the same tables. But different wise is they're here to have fun, enjoy other people, um, not worrying about grades or anything. So there's no stress with that. So, but it is a lot of fun. And, you know, the rumors will fly if something happens and, yeah. you know, they all worry if they see the ambulance pull up to the front because something happened, they all worry yeah. about that person and want to keep updated about how they are and stuff, which that very rarely happens. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, you know, I think people think that happens a lot, but it very rarely happens. Hopefully we've caught things early enough that people stay fairly healthy. Mary Jo, are you optimistic about the future of the center, uh, about, you know, these kind of programs in general in in the state? I am. I think senior centers play a big role. And when we had to shut down for COVID, you saw that seniors kept, senior centers kept seniors engaged, kept communication with them, made sure if they needed something, needed assistance, we were able to help them out. Um, our center gave out tens of thousands of meals mm-hmm. during COVID because we have a kitchen. Then we work with uh, Gemma Moran and gave out tens of thousands of boxes of food through our parking lot. So there, 
I think that people now realize, yeah, it's not, people don't come here to play bingo. Mm -hmm. They come here for a lot more. We try to get them in for recreation and then into the services they may need as they age yeah. longer, stay part as, uh, as an active part of the community. So I think that future-wise, we're in a good place. Great. Well, Mary Jo, thank you so much for speaking with us today and congratulations on winning the Municipal Excellence Awards. Thank you very much and it's been a pleasure. You are listening to the Municipal Voice on WNHH 103.5 FM. Lisa, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. So before we get into the specifics about your uh, Municipal Excellence Award, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to work in Norwalk, that kind of stuff? Certainly, thank you. I have been a municipal tax collector uh, full-time since 1989, mm -hmm. uh, part-time. I started it was a summer job in my town of residency, and uh, I thought public service would be a fun thing to do for a couple of years, and 30-whatever mm -hmm. years later, I'm A couple years, a couple decades. <laughs> Um, I started out in the town of Easton as an elected collector. Mm -hmm. I moved to the town of Stratford, where I worked as an appointed tax collector for about eight years. And then mm -hmm. I came to Norwalk in 2000. I've been here since then. Um, I'm a licensed attorney. Mm -hmm. um, I went to the University of Connecticut School of Law. Um, my background was politics and English writing. Mm -hmm. um, but I have been in the public sector my entire adult life. So a little bit around in Fairfield County there, but a, a Connecticut person through and through. Absolutely. Very cool. So as CCM well knows, uh, taxes are crucial to running towns and cities, but not many of our listeners at home are going to be tax experts. When a person pays taxes, what happens to them? Where do they go? Property taxation in Connecticut is a state function that has been delegated to municipalities within certain parameters. So local municipalities, districts, and towns and cities mm -hmm. have the ability to raise tax revenue to fund their municipal budgets uh, within the parameters set by the state of Connecticut, mm -hmm. the General Assembly. So um, all towns and cities in Connecticut and taxing districts basically tax the same. We follow mm -hmm. a uniform fiscal year. We charge the same amount of interest, the same rate of interest. Um, and the revenue that we generate through taxes is used to fund the services that the policymakers in our towns feel are important to provide mm -hmm. to our constituents, most notably and most importantly, to fund the public education system. Mm -hmm. As you said, in Connecticut, especially, uh, you know, the biggest form of taxes on the local level is the property tax. Roughly what percentage of taxes in Norwalk come from the property tax? In Norwalk, we get very little state aid, and mm -hmm. our property tax levy funds approximately 90% of our operating revenue. Mm -hmm. And this is really why it's key for us to have a very effective, very efficient collection enforcement program, mm -hmm. um, and why we take it as seriously as we do. Yeah, because in Connecticut, especially the towns and cities don't really have a lot of other options for diversification as far as bringing revenue in. Not at all, not at all. Yeah, is, and it, um, it's also a value-based tax mm -hmm. system as opposed to some other jurisdictions elsewhere. Um, so our property tax system is based not on the usage mm -hmm. or how many kids you have in school, 
or yeah. your income, but on the value of your property. Yeah, I know at CCM, we, we've always kind of had some issues with the way we run property tax in Connecticut because we feel it's kind of regressive tax the way it's done it is. around here. That is correct. Um, but this, of course, brings us to why you were honored with a Municipal Excellence Award recently. Tell us about the collection and past due municipal property taxes and, and the program that you have that won you an award. In Norwalk, uh, we made the decision going back in 2003 um, to change the way we pursued real estate collection enforcement. Mm -hmm. So the, the lion's share of our tax levy is real estate tax. We also collect motor vehicle taxes and mm -hmm. business personal property tax. But, but most of our revenue comes from real estate. And in Connecticut, real estate and other taxes are collectible for 15 years from their due date. Mm -hmm. um, it's important not to allow a sense of a false sense of compassion or concern to remove our focus on what a tax collector's function is. My yeah, core yeah. function is to bring in that 90% of the revenue for the mm -hmm. operating budget. So um, it, it may sound a little harsh, but it really isn't. I'm, I'm not a social worker. I'm not a financial yeah. advisor. I'm a tax collector. And my function is to bring in that money. So mm -hmm. the tax sale is one method authorized by state statute the authority given to tax collectors by the mm -hmm. General Assembly because they understand how important it is to get that revenue in to fund the city's operations. Mm -hmm. um, tax sale can happen relatively quickly. Okay. We don't have to go to court. We don't need to get permission from a judge. We don't mm -hmm. need to schedule through the court. The tax collector has the authority by statute to set a sale date and go through this procedure. Okay. Um, so that's what we decided to do starting in 2003. Prior to that, the city had done foreclosures um, mm -hmm. and other methods, but as a tax collector with 30 plus years of experience, my personal opinion is that mm -hmm. the tax sale is the most efficient, the most effective, and overall provides the most stability for the budget-making authorities, which is, is really the the ancillary function here, we want to get that revenue in from the sale, but mm -hmm. we also want to encourage our taxpayers to, to understand that timely payment is important in the mm -hmm. city. And the tax sale does that because it has an ancillary effect on other properties that aren't even involved in the sale. It encourages okay. people to be timely about their tax obligations in order to avoid the sale. Okay. So how does the sale work exactly? Like, I want to participate in the sale. What is the sale? It's a public auction. Okay. And in Norwalk, we, we do all the work in-house, which I'll, I'll probably talk a little bit about later. Um, mm -hmm. But we we start with a selection of properties where we say what, what properties need to be included in the sale. And in mm -hmm. Norwalk, we go by how many years back the taxes go and mm -hmm. the dollar amount. And if you fit either of those criteria, you are included in the sale. Okay. So, for example, our last sale, if you were three or more years in arrears, mm -hmm. or if you owed $12,000 or more, you were included in the sale. So okay. that would necessitate if we had, for example, a garage unit or mm -hmm. a, a boat slip um, where maybe the taxes were a lot of money per year, mm -hmm. but we don't want it to go longer than three years. So we'll include it in the sale. By okay. the same token, if you had a property that was a very high tax property, 
that was only past due for six months, we would include it in the sale if it mm-hmm. were more than $12,000. But um, if it was a property that was not worth a lot, may, it might go a little bit longer or something. Yes, yes. Um, but it's a public auction. We start by doing a series of notifications. And in Norwalk, mm-hmm. we start early. We actually start earlier than the statute requires in order to give the owners of these properties time to address the situation. So if mm-hmm. our sale is scheduled for July, we'll start the prior November and we'll start oh, wow. sending letters and we'll say, your property is going to be scheduled for tax sale. You know, please start to address this issue now, yeah. try to obtain financing or whatever. Um, but that is how we do it. And then there's a series of notices that co- get published in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. There's a series of mailings that go out. We have a title search done and okay. we're required to notify anybody who has a coate lien on the property. Mm-hmm. Um, what typically happens is if there is a mortgage company that mm-hmm. has a mortgage and, and they are owed more from that owner than we are, mm-hmm. that mortgage company will step in and pay okay. the city and that property will come out of the sale. And ultimately, um, if we start with approximately 250 properties, mm-hmm. by the time the day of the sale arrives, we will be down to maybe a dozen. And really the whole point of the tax sale is not to sell property. The whole point of the tax sale is to collect the taxes. So if people so see that on the list, they have a certain amount of time to like get off that list before- Right up until the day of the sale. And, we, and, we, and a lot actually, of them do yeah, do that. Most of them do. So if we start with 250 and we're left with only a dozen, mm-hmm. everyone else over the course of those months leading up to the sale, they will pay. Yeah. And that's the point. If, if we schedule the tax sale, and ended up not selling a single property, we would be delighted because our goal is not to transfer ownership of property, it's to collect that revenue. Um, So like I said, there's mailings, there's legal notices, it's all set by statute. There's Mm -hmm. a calendar that we have to follow to provide these notifications because basically what we're doing is we're taking a property, there's constitutional issues involved Mm -hmm. here. It's a property seizure and taking and we Mm -hmm. have to properly notify people um, to protect their constitutional rights. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, we go through this procedure of approximately could be 12 weeks or longer, mm-hmm. and then come to the day of the sale. And it's a public auction held in our building in our city hall. Mm-hmm. We typically, um, it's it's relatively for us, it's large, because we mm-hmm. started with so many properties, we have maybe 50 or so bidders, it's public. Mm-hmm. You can come, you can observe, but you can't bid on tax sale properties in Norwalk if you owe back taxes yourself. Okay. So that's our rule. Mm-hmm. Um, and we seems, seems good. It good makes good sense, right? <laughs> um, but our staff, our city staff, my office and others within the building, our IT department is involved. And then typically we invite tax collectors from other towns who may be interested in learning more about the process to come. Mm. And we'll have usually a dozen, 10 to 12 tax collectors from elsewhere in the state working alongside of us, which is nice. Have you seen any of those people that come in and kind of observe how you did then go back to their towns and and replicate it? Which is nice. Yes, they do. Yeah, that's that's the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. Now you said, um, you know, you could do that in Connecticut. Are are other states different? Can you not do this in all states? Every state is different. Okay. Um, But in some, in some states, it's more of an automatic procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Connecticut, there, asked, there has to actually be 
an action on the part of the collector to file that notice in the land records and to initiate the sale proceedings. So there's a little so, bit more hands-on sort of actually looking at the individual cases? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and do you find that, you know, by the time you get down to those ones that, that didn't pay at the end, do you see a lot of trends as to who that is? Is it like absentee landlords or like out of town people or, or is it just kind of everybody? It's everybody. But interestingly, um, this last sale that we did was our ninth in Norwalk mm -hmm. since I've been here. And typically we do see repeat properties. So if we mm -hmm. have a tax sale, you know, in 2021, we would see numerous properties from that sale that were involved in other sales. So there is a component of our constituency that does not pay until they are compelled to pay through the, the, mm. sale, the sale process. So you can see that it, it actually works with some of these kind of repeat offender type problems. It's interesting. It works very well, which is why we do it. Um, we, we do it to get that money in. We do it to fund the city operations. That's why we do it. Yeah. Now, there might be folks out there like myself who, you know, pay their taxes on time and are wondering why collection is such a problem. Uh, why is it a problem and how does it affect the city of Norwalk overall? When they set the budget, um, they have an idea. Our budgets are set in the spring mm -hmm. or, and, and then the tax bills go out in July. So mm -hmm. our fiscal year starts on July 1st. They're setting our tax rates in the spring yeah. um, based on what the needs are from the, from the different departments in the city. And mm -hmm. when the budget making authorities are setting the tax rates, they're looking at what the tax levy will be and how effective their tax collector will be in mm -hmm. bringing that levy in. And mm -hmm. the higher they can set the collection rate mm -hmm. and say, well, we know we're going to, we're, we're going to bill $370 million worth of taxes. Mm -hmm. If they can set that collection rate and say, we know our tax collector is going to bring in 99% of that levy, mm -hmm. they can set a lower mill rate. If they say, we are a little concerned about our tax collector, maybe they're going to bring in only 95% of the levy mm -hmm. or 90% of the levy or 89% of the levy. They don't spend less money. Mm -hmm. They're spending the same amount of money, so they have to set the mill rate, the tax rate, higher to compensate for the fact that the collector might not bring in a higher percentage of the levy. So that's why enforcement is so important. And so, if you our, know you're only going to get half that money, you would yeah. have to make the mill rate twice as much to get exactly, the same okay, exactly. So that's why that's why within the tax collecting community. That's why we teach in our certification programs and in our, in our continuing education um, offerings that the collection rate is so important to allow the policymakers to set a lower mill rate because quite honestly, that's tax relief for everybody. Yeah. It's not just an exemption for a veteran or an exemption for an elderly person. If I can have my town set a lower mill rate even if the only tax bill you pay is on a 1997 Honda, you're paying less than, than you would. And conversely, mm -hmm. if you have a low collection rate, the people who are paying on time, such as yourself, you're mm -hmm. paying a little bit more than you should to compensate. And that's not really fair either. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So when you're talking about like collection rates and reporting back and then being able to plan, is, are those numbers that you would provide to them? Or does someone else kind of look at and be like, this tax collector's got a great rate over here. This one's not like, is it, how does that work? 
Um, the Office of Policy and Management in the mm-hmm. state of Connecticut tracks all of our levies. Okay. Um, so they they have information on their website. It's also part of our audit reports mm-hmm. and our our finance departments in our towns are supposed to be conversing with us to mm-hmm. find out, you know, how are things going? Are there any are there any um, concerns that you have about the levy going forward? For example, mm-hmm. in some of the smaller towns, if you have say you have a town where there's a lumber mill and that's their mm-hmm. biggest taxpayer, they file for bankruptcy, that might potentially affect the levy, mm-hmm. might affect the collection rate. If you have a town going through a revaluation um, yeah. and there's assessment appeals, that might affect the collection rate. So the, the, the budget making authorities are talking with the tax collectors before mm-hmm. they set those rates to have a better handle on what's going on in the town in the next six months or 12 months. You are listening to the Municipal Voice on WNHH 103.5 FM. So there are some alternatives to the tax sale concept, but Norwalk has decided that it opposed, you know, liens, foreclosures, um, things like that, that the tax sale was a preferable way to go. Um, Can you go a little bit more into the differences between those kind of options between, you know, foreclosure, liens and tax sale? Mm-hmm. The tax sale is is extra judicial. We don't have to go to court to pursue it. Okay. Um, a, a foreclosure is when the city or town goes to court to foreclose on a lien that they have filed or multiple liens that they have filed. It, mm-hmm. it, it involves the court system. So you are dependent upon the court system for timing. Mm-hmm. Um, you need an attorney to, to bring the case. It's typically the town attorney or the corporation mm-hmm. counsel who brings it. Um, It is sometimes in some cases subject to delay because Mm -hmm. the taxpayer can file appeals and so forth. Um, It also involves costs because the attorney has fees, the court has fees. Um, It is a method that a lot of towns use with tremendous success if they Mm -hmm. have attorneys that are familiar with the process and diligent about keeping things moving in the court. Yeah. Um, that, but, th- but that is used by many, many towns. Another men- uh, method that you had mentioned was the lien assignment, mm-hmm. which um, the General Assembly authorized for us to start using in 1995. It's very similar to what's done in a lot of other states. And in the lien assignment, the legislative body of the municipality is selling liens, basically mm-hmm. like they're selling an asset of the town. Mm-hmm. So they go out to bid. And they they offer a package typically, and mm. a third party will step in and buy the debt, and then stand in the shoes of the town to try to collect from those who owe. It's almost mm-hmm. as if um, your mortgage you had a mortgage on your house, and your bank sold your mortgage to somebody else. Okay. So now instead of owing the city of Norwalk, you would owe a finance company that purchased these liens mm-hmm. and now stands in the town shoes. They have the right to collect 18% interest like we okay. do. We've done lien assignment in Norwalk because there are some cases where you cannot do a tax sale. If a taxpayer mm-hmm. is in bankruptcy, for example, under federal bankruptcy protection, you are not allowed to do a tax sale. Got it. But you can do a lien assignment because okay. you're, you're not really enforcing collection. You're only selling your lien. Um, so we've done it. it. My theory is that I like to know how all three methods work so mm-hmm. that I have the ability to make a decision and use whichever method for a particular property might be best. 
but for some for a lot of them it sounds like the sale is a quicker way to go and they also then ultimately the municipality would get more of the money that less people will be getting a chunk of it in that process you're correct because typically with lien assignment um what sometimes happens is the town does not recover the full value of the debt the debtor is going to buy that package of liens and offer uh, you know not pay full value for it mm. um whereas with the tax sale i like the tax sale because i'm recovering everything and if i don't get a bid that covers everything i can try again and we've done that yeah. uh, where we, you know we try to sell something and it doesn't sell so we put it on the sale in two years and we've mm -hmm. done that in some cases through three or four sales until we finally sell yeah Mm -hmm. Talk about have you seen some real examples of the success of this program? Like, has it changed some of your numbers? Our collection rate is very high. Mm -hmm. um, our current collection rate is always in excess of 99%. Mm -hmm. um, for a city of 90,000 people with a levy between 350 to 375 mm -hmm. million dollars, that's a very high rate. Yeah. Um, it also allows us, it, it, it has looked very favorably on by the bond rating agency mm. we have a triple a bond rating in the city of norwalk which we've had for decades and when our cfo presents to the bond rating agencies they are very pleased with our consistent mm. persistent enforcement methods um and he goes into tremendous detail to explain to them what we do and they appreciate it and that has contributed to our triple yeah. a bond rating um, like I said, it contributes to lower mill rates. It allows mm. the budget making people to have more stability um, it, when they're setting the budgets. Um, I think it also gives taxpayers, our constituents in Norwalk, an idea of what we're doing, um, yeah. which is why we do it in-house. We, we want to keep control of it and we want them to see that we're doing what they pay us for. Mm -hmm. So not only are you bringing in the more money, but because of the extra bond rating, you have an increased ability if you need to, to borrow money and things. Absolutely. Cheaper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. CCM, we've been working hard to help get mill rates down around the state. How would you try to minimize uh, taxes and mill rates around the state? Like what, what steps do you think could be taken? I think one of the key um, components is to try to work with the General Assembly to mm -hmm. continue to strengthen our ability to collect. Mm -hmm. um, there are typically, with each legislative session, literally hundreds of bills yeah. uh, that could potentially affect tax collection. There's one out there now that would make it a class four felony if a tax collector filed a lien against a person 50 years of age or older. Um, okay. that, is, that is a potentially very detrimental proposal. And, and I understand that there may be a constituent out there that thinks that's a good idea, but that mm -hmm. proposal is out there and you've got 200 tax collectors in Connecticut who are reading it yeah. um, and you know, attempting to prepare testimony in opposition to it if need be. Um, there, we need to be able to focus on what our role is. Um, yeah. We have an 18% per annum interest rate, which is meant to encourage timely payment. Um, mm -hmm. We have very significant authority given to us by the General Assembly relative to things like tax sales, uh, being able to deny a business a health permit if they have back taxes more than a year, mm -hmm. being able to garnish bank accounts, being able to garnish wages without a court order, 
um, if the General Assembly allows us to have these powers and continue to have these powers, mm-hmm. that's helpful to the on-time taxpayers such mm-hmm. as yourself for all those reasons that you and I discussed, that it yeah. enables us to set a lower mill rate and so forth. That's tax relief for everybody. So I feel working with the General Assembly on allowing us to keep these powers, also educating tax collectors. Um, you know, half the tax collectors in Connecticut are elected officials. Um, in many cases, you mm-hmm. have people come into the profession who might not have, you know, really a thorough understanding of what the statutes require. Yeah. So our tax collectors associations, both at the state and county level, work to try to keep people educated, our new, mm-hmm. our new folks coming in and those that have been there for a while, such as myself, to give them the education and the tools they need to show them what authority they have out there, what they can do to try to get revenue in. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think that's key. And, and to allow the towns to, in, in days of um, difficult budget situations, but allow their tax collectors to go to get educated you know, Mm -hmm. allow them to go to their conferences and their meetings and things like that and bring education to the county. So I think that's important too. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for speaking with us today about uh, Norwalk's tax sale program. We'd like to thank our guests, Lisa Biagiarelli and Mary Jo Riley. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Gateway Community College and Housatonic Community College. Learn more at gatewayct.edu and housatonic.edu. The Municipal Voice is a co-production by CCM and WNHH, 103.5 FM. Kevin Maloney is our executive producer. Christopher Gilson is our producer. Harry Draws is on the board. And I'm Matt Ford, your host. Be sure to check out our Facebook page and give us a like. And watch out for our CCM chat series on our YouTube page. America was founded on the principle of representative government, but communities of color are marginalized in this process. If you're interested in running for office or serving on a local board or commission, the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities and the Campaign School at Yale are hosting Representation Matters, a free remote two-day training session with informative workshops and panels of experts to give you the tools to make this a reality. Visit ccmcares.com for info on how to register.